Merry Christmas. There's a few people that aren't here because the snow. Somebody was praying for a white Christmas, I think. Well, I just wanted to welcome you if you're at home because of snow and uh, you're participating with us that way. Merry Christmas. Um, I hope that you and your family are blessed this, this uh, holiday season. We also have the group from Clark Fork. I'm not sure if the sound is working yet or not. <laughs> um, James, the one that's working on it, is also the head elder, uh, and he's uh, on the, the platform today. So he's managing both sides of that. Um, so hopefully it works. I can't control it if it doesn't. So hopefully they have a backup if they don't. But welcome if you're joining us as well. There's a, there's a series that we've been doing on Daniel. And it's been a few months here and there we've been going through. We got through the first eight chapters, and uh, I don't think it's coincidence that uh, God let the last chapter um, come to uh, the, the Christmas season. And you might be saying, but wait, this is from Matthew 2. You can even look on the screen, and it says Matthew 2. We're in, we're in Matthew. We're talking about the wise men, not about Daniel. But uh, follow me just for a minute, and you'll know exactly where we're going before long. Uh, there, there's something in Daniel that leads us to the wise men. And I should say more precisely that led the wise men to Jesus. So let's go there and let's find out. Daniel chapter 9 is where we're going to go. And the prophecy begins with this somewhat ominous statement in verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. We don't have it on the screen today. I thought we'd do some flipping in our Bibles. Daniel 9. And then if you want to, you can, you can go to chapter 2 of Matthew. And those are the two places we're going to spend most of our time today. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, this isn't literally 70 weeks. Uh, we're in prophecy, and we've discussed this before. We talked about it when we were in Daniel 8. When, when you look at prophecy and it tells you a, a day, or in this case, a week, it's not talking about a literal day or a literal week. It's talking about a literal or year or seven literal years in the case of a week. So when we're looking at this, I want you to think prophetically. And just to remind you where that came from, it's all over in the Bible, but just a couple examples. Israel was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for every day that the, the rebellious um, spies had been wandering around in, in Canaan and starting to think about their doubts and their fears and their worries, right? 40 years in the wilderness. And then there's... Ezekiel, he lays on his side 430 days, a day for every year that Israel and Judah would be in uh, some punishment for their rebellion against God. So we have this examples all throughout the Bible, and here we know it's not just a year and just about a half, 70 weeks isn't, isn't very long, because none of the things that are fulfilled in this prophecy were fulfilled within a year and a half of the, the time frame that Daniel talked about. And there's some really cool stuff in here. Um, I mean, there, there's... The stuff about the holy city and about the most holy, the Jews are going to care about that. But everybody in the whole world is going to care about this other stuff. Finishing transgression, transgression, making an end of sin, bringing in everlasting righteousness. This is really amazing stuff. And every one of us is impacted by sin and evil and transgression, right? 
And so the results of those things are being solved at the end of this 70 weeks. That seems like we should be paying attention. And not just the Jews, everybody in the whole world should be paying attention. Now, what, when would this happen? Uh, how do we know when this 70-week period would be? Look at verse 25. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the walls, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Seventy, uh, or sorry, seven plus 62 is 69 weeks or 483 years prophetically. 483 years from this decree, from some point in time, uh, when was this decree? Well, the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem and the streets and the walls and the temple was made by a guy named Artaxerxes. And that happened, you can read about it in Ezra chapter 7, verses 11 to, 8, uh, to 28. But uh, that happened around 457 BC. There's a little bit of discussion whether it's 458 or 457, but it doesn't really matter that much. Add uh, 483 years to that, and you end up in 27 AD. And when you look at Luke and Matthew, they tell you all these interesting things. Like there's this guy, Herod, and there's this, or not Herod. Anyway, there's these guys. <laughs> I forget all their names. Anyway, all these different guys that are, are in government in, in Judah and in, in Rome and whatnot. And, and it gives you the days or the, the years of their rule. And so you can kind of trace that back pretty close, somewhere in the 26 to 29 range A.D., so we're landing at this prophecy and in the historical record right at the time that Jesus would have been baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Messiah. This is not an insignificant prophecy. This is the thing that the Jews should be paying attention to. Everything about their, their system was going to be fulfilled. Every part of their worship service was going to be fulfilled at the end of this 70-week prophecy. And so it's, it's really an important thing for them and for us. And the whole prophecy is amazing. There's all kinds of interesting stuff in here. It says that Messiah would be cut off in the middle of that last seven-year period, the, the, um, the, the 70th week. And, and you have oh, just all kinds of interesting stuff going on in here. And we could study it. We could study it for a long time. But let's just step back 30 years in time to the 453 years after this decree. And we'd come to around 4 BC. And in 4 BC, uh, you, you have these philosophers, these scholars, these magi, these wise men in the East. Uh, maybe Persia, we'll just say. Uh, and And when you think about wise men and philosophers and thinkers and, and counselors, these are the people that influence nations. They, they create governments. They educate people. They're, they're the ones that, they're, they're the, 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 the men generally, in, at least all through history, it's often been the case, um, that, that they're from the upper crusts. They're, they're in the sciences. They're leading out in religion. And they're the influencers. And we have a few of these guys. Now, keep in mind, most of those people, they're filled with greed and pride and problems, evil and manipulating things and lying, and they, they do whatever they want because they have influence, right? But there are some who are honored and respected because they're honest and they, they're filled with integrity and their, their, their work 
exemplifies that, that quality about them. And, and that was the case with these guys, these wise men who we're going to talk about today. Their history is largely unknown, but what we are pretty sure of is that they came to the conclusion that this Messiah, this king would come from Judah because they'd been studying some documents. And let's just kind of trace those documents back a little bit. Daniel, he's the, uh, one of the wise men, ends up being one of the top people in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And then later on in the Persian court under Cyrus, he becomes, he, he, he's basically the second guy in the kingdom. And in, with his influence, he has some responsibility over the libraries of the royal library there in, in, in Rome, uh, Babylon and then also in Persia. And when you have some responsibility over the, the royal records, you've got the ability to kind of put in there stuff that matters. And so Daniel's uh, stories and his prophecies, they would have been distributed among the Jews. They would have made copies of that and made sure that went around. But it was also going to be in the royal library, and, and they would have uh, a record of that there. Whether they were on tablets or some um, vellum uh, leather type of thing or, or written on papyrus, we don't know. Um, some of those records would have been destroyed just with time. But one way or the other, it seems that they were in the library. And keep in mind that Daniel had access to other writings that the Jews had, and so he brought them into the royal court. And, and I'm, I'm guessing that Nebuchadnezzar got a look at some of those things, uh, especially Jeremiah and the stories that Babylon, Nebuch- under Nebuchadnezzar's rule, would take over Judah and why that was going to be the case. Uh, he might have even gotten a bit of the, the original, like the origin story from the, the books of Genesis and, and maybe even a little bit from Numbers. And I, I'm guessing that whatever Jeremiah had, he kept in the royal uh, library. And then you get, come down to Cyrus. Cyrus, he ends up fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah. And I'm pretty sure that Daniel was excited to show him, look, you are in the prophecy. The God of heaven sees you and he appointed you. And so the book of Isaiah is probably there. And, and then by the time you get to these wise men of Jesus' day, the Greeks had conquered Persia and spread their language and their culture and their religions and stuff all around. And then Rome had conquered Greece and, uh, and they'd built these amazing roads. So my guess is that the wise men in Persia probably also had access to at least fragments of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. I don't think they had access to everything, or at least they hadn't read everything, because it seems like there's some holes in their understanding of this prophecy. But, but there's this one guy who seems to be exploring these prophecies. And he's reading the books of Daniel, because the, the, the prophecies of Daniel, because Daniel's, well, he's one of the wise men that led Persia a long, long time ago. So, of course, he's going to be reading these things. And most people weren't. I mean, this is old records from the Hebrews. Those Jews down there, they, they matter so little to the world economy. Why would anybody pay attention to them? It'd be like you and I today studying um, the writings of Benin. Anybody been studying Benin literature lately? Uh, Benin is a little country in Africa. And the question you might easily ask is, what's the point of studying that? They have no impact on the global economy. And that's probably what the philosophers in this time were thinking, except for just a few. And so this one guy is reading the, the prophecy in Daniel, and he says, 
He's looking and and maybe nudged by an angel. He he sees the connection between that and Ezra, another guy that was in the court, and probably his his writings were there. And he, he saw the royal decrees and he saw what was happening and how it connected with Daniel. And he was like, this stuff is is about to happen. This um, most holy, this anointed one, this Messiah is about to come. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit led him in some way to another document. There's a guy named Balaam who was a wise man from years past in roughly that area of the country. And uh, in his writings might have been recorded either through the book of Numbers or through some other way in that library. And, and he, he sees this new prophecy, and you can read about it in Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him now, but not now. I see him, but not now, rather. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And they see Messiah, and they see scepter, and, and he's like, this is, this is happening. Now, he, he would have realized in 4 BC that, that it's, it's another 30 years from now. And... Looking at 30 years from now, he started to think this is about the time this guy who'd become king, likely around 30, because he spent some time in Hebrew literature. He knows that priests would be um, anointed at 30. He knows that everything kind of starts at 30, so he's thinking now. Now's about the time that this would be happening. And so he goes to his friend, who's an astronomer and a, a mathematician, and he says, hey, look, look at this stuff that I'm finding. And there's not a lot of people he can share this with, but this guy, he's, he's somebody that cares and that's interested in, in what um, he's been researching. And so he starts to tell him about these prophecies, and the astronomer's like, this is amazing. Just, just a, a couple weeks ago, we saw a new star that's coming from that area in the west um, where Judah might be. And I mean, it's, it's weird. It's not like anything else in the sky. We don't know what it's all about. And he invites him to come look the next night. And, and so they look, they see this star, and then, and then the following night, they both have a dream. And, and in the dream, angels tell them, now, now is the time, go and find this Messiah. And so they do, they, they take their stuff, and these are wealthy guys, you might say, um, but they, they liquidate their assets, and they, they go on a journey that would take them months months out of their lives to do this thing. And maybe they come back to jobs, maybe not. This is an all-in thing, though. They bring rich gifts to give this new king, gifts that are at the edge of their limit. And they, they pack their camels and they head out to Jerusalem. In The Desire of Ages, Ellen White has this interesting statement. She says, The light of God is ever shining amid the darkness of heathenism. I like that promise. God is at work searching for people right now in, in our community and around the world, wherever there is a desire for God, God's spirit is there to, to, to fan the flame of that desire. In Acts 17, Paul says it this way. He's talking to the Athenians, these pagans, and he says, and God made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, allotted periods, like that 70-week that, uh, prophecy, that 490 years. And then he says, uh, 
that they should seek God. The purpose of God determining these things and giving boundaries of nations and whatnot is so that they would seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That's the goal. Not just that they would seek, but that they would find. And yet he's not actually that far from any one of us. I love that promise. God is close and he wants you and he wants everybody out there to know him, to seek him and to find him. Now, there's, uh, there's some in this story, some details in this story that seem like there's, there's missing pieces in their knowledge of, this, of what Jesus or what the Messiah would be. So look in Matthew chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, and you find that it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Jude, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Because they didn't know about this Bethlehem prophecy yet. They, they just knew that a, a, a king would be coming, and now was about the time. For, he, they, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when the wise men got to Jerusalem, you can imagine they were expecting, um, you know, banners to be unfurled and people talking about this new king that had come that had fulfilled this amazing prophecy. But they didn't find that, did they? And they came in the marketplace, they're replenishing their supplies, and as they're talking to people, um, they were asking about this, and, and the people were incredulous. Uh, like, who are you to tell us about our prophecies? Like, we know what's going on, you're just foreigners. And then they, they ended up in the, the temple itself, in the outer court, of course. They were blocked from going any farther because they're Gentiles. And the, the, the religious leaders didn't have much interest in talking to them. Uh, they, they would ask them about these things, and, and the religious leaders just rebuffed them and pushed them away. But the, the news of their arrival had gone around town, and Herod heard about it. Of course, Herod's this guy, like Ralph had said in his children's story, Herod's this guy that is very jealous of his throne. He's an Edomite. He's, he's, not, um, he's not a natural-born Jew. And so he doesn't have any right to the throne, except he's, uh, you know, in favor with the Roman government. And so the locals don't like him. The Romans do like him. And he's always worried that some, some uh, sedition is going to rise up from the Jews. And so now he's hearing about this new king that's been born. And he's thinking about these, he's thinking about these priests that they've somehow arranged it to get the people to rise up against Herod. So Herod invites the wise men to come visit him. And deceptively, he says, um, you know, where, where, oh, before he invites the wise men, I should say, though, he invites the priests and he says, please come and tell me, tell me all that you know. And they have to search now. They have to study these things that the wise men had pointed them to. And in studying it, they found this prophecy of Bethlehem. And so then he invites the wise men and he, he tells the wise men, go to Bethlehem. And when you've gone, uh, come back and tell me where he, he's at. You might think that the star should have just taken the wise men to Bethlehem. I mean, what was going to happen after they found him was horrendous. And you might wonder at a God who would allow this event to take place. Uh, but think of it this way. The star could have led them directly to Jesus' home. But instead, it led them to a nation that needed to be searching, a nation that was apathetic and just going through the motions of their religious cycles and forms. They needed to be seeking 
like the wise men were seeking. And they weren't. And so God brings, well, you know what Jesus said when, when uh, the, the religious leaders said, tell those people to be quiet. And they're praising him as he's coming into Jerusalem right before the, 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 the crucifixion week. And Jesus responds to them and says, no, if they don't praise me, then who will? The rocks. In this case, if, you know, back in Jesus' birth, if they're not going to search for me, I'm going to bring the Gentiles in to find me too. The rocks are going to cry out. They needed to be stirred up. They needed somebody to come in and, and invite them to follow this prophecy and explore who Jesus would be. I wonder how many of us have set out on our own high stakes journey, the all in journey to seek Jesus. And how many of us are like the Jews going through the motions of our religious service, just doing it because our parents do it or just doing it because we've always done it. As the wise men left the court of King Herod, they noticed the star of angels. You see, when they had originally seen that star, it was the Bethlehem star. It was those angels that were singing glorious songs outside of Bethlehem to the shepherds. And so they, they see this group of angels and it sings and then it rises up and all they see from a distance is this beautiful, glorious star low in the sky and over there in the west. And so now they see this, this star of angels shining again and it's leading them towards Bethlehem. I don't know how long it was. It had been months, maybe a, a, up to a couple years since they had seen that star originally. And, uh, and now it's leading them right to Jesus' uh, home. And when they see this little boy, when they recognize that he's the fulfillment of all these beautiful prophecies from Isaiah and Daniel and even um, back there in, in um, the old times with Balaam, they see their king and they give him their hearts and because they've given him their hearts, they give him their wealth too and they give him gold and they give him frankincense and they give him myrrh, gifts fit for a king. What do you and I do when we encounter Jesus? Do we give him our heart? Do we bow before him and surrender our lives to him? And then do we give him our all? Are we all in? The wise men hadn't figured out Herod's craftiness. Uh, and so that night they had a vision from God and they, they were told to go back home from a, a different direction and bypass Herod. And so they did. And then Joseph was given a similar dream and he was told to go to Egypt. And, and because God had made those arrangements and at that right time brought those wise men with those gifts, they were able to make that journey to, to Egypt and live for some time in Egypt until they were safe. What happened next is so horrendous that I just hate to even bring it up. But it's the kind of thing that helps you realize that this decision that God is calling us to in this season isn't, I mean, it's a joyful thing, what God is calling us to, but it's, it's a decision that has significant implications, life and death implications. 
Herod became uh, furious when he realized that the wise men had left their country to their own country without telling him. And so he determined that he would kill this child no matter what. Sent his soldiers to kill any kid that was under two years old, any male child under two. I, I don't even want to imagine what the experience of those mothers was like. In his mind, I'm, I'm sure he was thinking, those haughty Jews that think that they can usurp my throne are going to learn a lesson. They're going to feel the pain so badly, they will never start an insurrection again. That's what's going in Herod's mind. And so he does this evil thing. But however evil Herod was, he's got somebody behind him that's even more evil. He's being led by Satan. You see, when, when you look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, you find that this dragon, a great dragon who is called Satan and the devil, stands before the woman who is his Israel, who is about to give birth to the Messiah, Jesus. And he stands there at the ready, Herod, as one of his servants. And when Jesus is born, he does everything he can to kill him. And Herod is just his tool. Thankfully, God protected Jesus. But, but let's just think about this for a second. He went to Egypt and came back to show Israel that their way, their forms and their systems were being completely fulfilled and finished and replaced. And so what, he, what does he tell them? In, uh, in Matthew 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. What's the next word? Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is kind of like the experience of those wise men who sought out Jesus, knocked on his door, and it was opened to them, and they found him. Seek, and you'll find. He, he doesn't ask us to join a system of formal religion, Though there's symbols and systems involved, he asks us to join a caravan, an all-in, life-or-death-stakes caravan, an exploration of searching for him. And what that means for your life might be something as extreme as picking up your stuff and going some new place that God has called you to. Maybe that's why you're here, because you are on that kind of a journey and God has led you to this place. Like Abraham going to that land, that promised land that God has given. That, that might be the case for you. Other people have different experiences. When they say, God, I'm all in, God does something in their lives. He calls you to something when you say, I'm all in. And, and it, there's another verse, uh, John 15. Jesus is talking to the disciples. It's right before the crucifixion. And he says, I am the vine, you're the branches, whoever... And this is the amazing thing. You, you seek Jesus, but what do you do then? The journey is over? No. No, the journey has just begun. Instead of coming to find him, now you're walking with him. He says, abide in me and I in him. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Come to me, he says. Seek me and you will find me. And then abide in me. As I consider this story and the evil of Herod's actions, I, I start to think about our experience today. You and I are probably not looking at this story and saying, you know what, I kind of, I'm going to either be on Jesus' side or I'm going to be on Herod's side. That's not usually the choice we make. The choice we make is usually to be on 
the, the wise men's side and seek Jesus, or on the Jews' side and be apathetic. The New Testament calls it Laodicea, Jesus' message to that church that thinks they're wise, that thinks there's, they, they, they have the knowledge that's needed, that they can see spiritual things, that they're clothed in righteous garments. They think everything's good. But when you experience, or when you look at the experience of those little babies in Bethlehem, and just trace that back a little bit. What would have happened if the Jews had seen those wise men coming and they'd been like, we've been looking for you. Have you seen these prophecies? And they're like, yeah, we've been looking at those prophecies too. And they, they start exploring it together. And maybe they've, they've already found out the Bethlehem thing and others have gone to worship Jesus. By now, Herod has found that Jesus is, is the Messiah, but the Messiah isn't there to take his throne. He's there to, to, to conquer his heart. What a different story it would have been in Bethlehem if the Jews had not been apathetic and content in their religious systems. It makes me wonder, what in our world, what wrong, evil things are in our world right now that we could have prevented if not for our apathy? See, God calls us to a all-in, life-or-death stakes journey to seek Him. And then He calls us to abide in Him. And in doing so, we change our world. We make an impact for, for God's kingdom. People will live that would have died otherwise. God invites us. He invites us to seek Him with all our hearts. Next week, I'm going to finish my series on Daniel. And we're going to look at the last chapters of Daniel There's this one verse, though, I want you to to look at right now. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Turn in your Bibles, if you would. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. And it just makes this statement. A statement that I think should call to our hearts. And those who are wise. What kind of people were going to seek Jesus? They were wise men. You and I can be wise children and wise women and wise men if we do this. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The star of Bethlehem were some angels, messengers of God to lead those wise men to Jesus. And God is inviting us to do a, an amazing thing, to step out in faith and say, God, I'm all in. I want to seek you and find you. I want to know you. And he says, you will find me. I promise it. And then he says, when you find me and abide in me, I'm going to make you like those angels that shone in the middle of the heavens and lead other people to me. Would you like to be a wise person? Would you like to shine for all eternity for God's glory? I hope that you take that message with you as you go on this special day. A Sabbath, it's also Christmas. Maybe you had other things arranged for a typical Christmas. uh, Norms that you do with gift opening at different times and reading stories or whatever that you do. Pajamas and stuff all day. I don't know what your plan normally is. But you decided to come here and you decided to to dress up and to to do church. Because this is the day that we come and we worship God. Now, what I want is for you to go. Leave this church 
And if you're at home um, or at Clark Fork, right, leave your place, this experience of Christmas, and remember that you, your search isn't done. Your journey with God doesn't end in Bethlehem. And it doesn't end at the cross. It doesn't end at the resurrection. It ends, well, it hopefully never does. But the next big event we can expect is Jesus' soon return. And he says, still seek me. And there's still prophecies that are pointing to Jesus' second coming. Prophecies that we can explore and understand better. And we can tell other people about. Because wise men still seek him. And the wise will shine like the stars. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn.